Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you the story. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood here with Storytime. You might have noticed we had a little bit of a production snafu over the last week, but all good. We are here on Saturday with Story Saturday. This week we'll be getting into the 40th story from Stories from the Great Challenge, which as you recall is the awesome collection of 52 stories that I wrote over the course of a year as part of a writing challenge. And as you also know, I am doing that again this year and uh, crushing it. In fact, um doing it with a bit of a twist in that I uh, am not waiting till the end to put the stories together in a collection like I did the last time. This time we're doing the collections of 10 with the final collection of 12. This week I work, got through story number 12 of on the year. Uh, it's because I was doing a writing workshop and I actually got since uh, two stories this week, but really since this last one, Sunday, I, I count the stories from Monday to Sunday. So last Sunday, I finished a story and I counted for last week. This sto- this week, I finished stories on Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah, Wednesday and Thursday. Two stories this week. So we're already ahead. We're ahead on the challenge. Yay! That's good. Anyway, the first, so now that we're over 10, we're kickstarting the new, uh, the first volume of this current challenge was called 52 stories in 2023 and we're already poised to go more than 52 so that's great and that kickstart will be starting this tuesday and uh, you are all of course invited to join in participate support and spread the word and we'll talk a little more about how to do that after the story but for now let's get to the story immediately this story is a it's called cupid's arrow and it's a fantasy story about cupid and his buddy it's a little romantic because it's cupid so let's get to it i wrote it i'm reading it it's awesome enjoy you know cupid the young fairy who asked the question beamed at me through eyes grown wide with amazement her cheeks seemed to sink in as her jaw dropped open in time with the expanding of her eyelids and the cute little dimple just above her jaw vanished before the sudden tension in her skin. She was the typical fairy, slender but curved, dressed in a skin-tight leotard, this one blue trimmed with white, gossamer wings extruding from the back of her shoulders, hers were tinged blue to match her leotard, of course. Tussled hair that had to have been styled that way to be so appealing in a oh-I-just-came-out-of-bed-and-didn't-bother-to-do-anything-with-it kind of way, except that I'd never seen or heard of a fairy spending any time on it at all to get that effect. Hers was, of course, black, fading to blue at the fringes. And, of course, her eyes were blue as well. She exuded a fragrance that reminded me of mint chocolate chip ice cream, though that didn't quite do it justice. It was more subtly appealing, but not in the way that would make your mouth water, more like the feeling of having just finished a splendid meal, and wouldn't it be great to kick back with a nice dessert, followed by brandy and cigars? 
The effect was ruined by the way she completely didn't look at me, just at the doorway behind me where Cupid had a few minutes ago shoved through into his own private locker room. I sighed for the millionth time. Seemed I had to answer this question for every newly matured fairy who came to work here at Valentine Hall. Yes, I'm Cupid's assistant, I said, trying to keep my tone level and polite, if slightly cool. And no, you can't meet him. He's a very busy man. But no exceptions, I said. I watched as her odd expression faded, turning to one of chagrin and then petulance. I knew what would come next, so I cut her off at the pass. Good day, miss. Then I pushed my chair backwards away from her and slid shut the pink and white painted panel that separated my desk and the rest of Cupid's antechamber from the remainder of Valentine Hall. It wasn't part of the initial design, but after the first six months of being harassed by the young and hormonal fairies working here, I had put in a request to management, and they had consented to enclose my desk behind a closable boundary, both for my and for Cupid's privacy. And sanity. Not that it did him that much good. But the young fairy's voice was crunched out by the salty clack of the privacy panel sliding home, and I pushed back from my desk, the casters on the bottom of my chair squeaking slightly as they carried me away from the panel and the consternation beyond. I breathed out an exhausted sigh, then pressed my hands onto the arms of my chair and pushed myself upwards. My knees popped, and I winced in anticipation of the usual ache as they came to accept my full weight. But wonder of wonders, today my joints were lubed enough that I only felt a momentary twinge. I didn't pause to wonder at my good fortune today. I just pulled the scarlet doublet I was wearing down over my hips, Picard style, and pushed the door open to Cupid's locker room. My office space was small, tiny in fact, barely enough to stand up and turn around in, but that's what an assistant rates in Valentine Hall and I didn't begrudge it. My wings never fully formed, all I had were lumps on the backs of my shoulders where they should have been. I was full-blooded fairy, but one of the occasional few who didn't manifest with all of the fae traits. It was a good thing I grew up with Cupid, and we'd been fast friends since we could only just walk, decades before puberty when our wings were supposed to grow in. When my disability became clear, he shielded me, insisted that I be made his assistant. He made sure I never had to worry about being kicked out of the Fey Realm for lack of manifestation, and I would never be able to repay that act of loyalty. Still, the last few years had been trying. The door swung shut behind me, and all I heard from him was a grunt. A grumpy grunt. Which was par for the course, but something about today's utterance made it seem especially unpleasant. The locker room was well more than twice the size of my little work area, more like three or four times as big. The floors were polished white marble, and the walls were the same. Cupid had a private shower at the rear of the space with twin nozzles on either side of the enclosure that were specifically measured to meet at the exact correct angle so as to moisten the entirety of his body without having to move an inch away from the drain at its center. He had a private sauna off to the left of the shower area and a quartet of large lockers to store his personal possessions, as well as his work attire, to the right. Toward the front where I came in was his desk, carved from mahogany, where he had a state-of-the-art computer, and above it a huge flat screen that management kept scrolling with feeds about the romance quotients in all the various regions of the world. If he liked, he could scroll down to display stats down to the neighborhood. But he almost never did that. That was my job. Off to the left was a gray-white leather upholstered couch, behind a black steel coffee table topped by a clear piece of glass. A darkly stained humidor sat atop the coffee table, with a double-bladed guillotine cutter 
and a three-burner torch lying next to it, along with a black-stained porcelain ashtray. Along with everything else, it was my job to make sure the ashtray was empty, the torch was fully fueled, and the humidor fully stocked. And I was happy to do it, but damn if I didn't wish he would share more often. As I walked in, Cupid was emerging from the shower, a white towel wrapped around his waist. His wings, seemingly wilted from the water impacting their feathers, were tucked in tight to his back and his round face was red from the warmth of the shower. But he wore a scowl nonetheless. How'd it go, see? He had preferred I use the diminutive since we were little. Cupid grunted, made a little shrug of his shoulders, then moved over to the couch and settled down. The towel parted, but thankfully this time not enough for me to see what I didn't want to see. A wedding on Valentine's Day, he said, shaking his head. Only humans could be so stupid. He opened the humidor and pulled out a long, thick cigar. I recognized the rapper, La Gloria Cubana, Serie R number 7, his favorite. As he clipped the end and lit it, sending the fragrant smoke into the space around us, I cleared my throat. It didn't go well? Cupid sucked on the stick and the end flared red. Then he settled back into the couch, blowing the gray-black smoke out of his mouth. He shook his head. Went fine. I shot up the third groomsman and the second bridesmaid. They're boning as we speak. He shook his head, an expression of near disgust on his face. But the married couple would be divorced in two years tops. How do you know that? Cupid raised an eyebrow at me, then snorted. Long as I've been doing this? I know. He sucked on his cigar again. Then, as he was blowing out, he said, Do yourself a favor, Lorian. Never get married. I wasn't sure what to say to that, so I didn't say anything. When he was in a mood like this, there was really nothing to say. Cupid looked to his right, where I had, at his insistence, installed a shelf holding a myriad of alcoholic beverages. Get the Macallan 18, he said. Then he gestured toward the humidor. Grab yourself a smoke. It was going to be a long, long night. My head hurt. A lot. But that was the price to be paid for such a night. I had had many of them with Cupid, going way back to before he landed his current gig. Lots of booze and cigars and extravagance, but no women. Not for him, anyway. I'd met a few girls and had a couple of relationships. One lasted almost a year, but in the end they all failed because Cupid was always on the move, always working, and I had to be there to support his endeavors. Otherwise, humankind would lose a romance forever and then cease to exist. There were plenty of fairies breeding every day, too many in fact based on the Fae Realm's recent decrees about family size, so I didn't feel like I was shirking on my responsibilities or anything. Still, it would have been nice to settle down. Someday. But see, he relished not having a wife or kids, and never mind the conflict with his job for the humans. Or maybe it was because of his job. Regardless, we were both bachelors but he got all the propositions from the fairy women at large. So I wasn't at all surprised when I heard a gentle clearing of a throat behind me as I made my way to work, my head feeling like it was going to explode while I secretly prayed it would do so to spare me the misery of my hangover. I knew immediately what the girl wanted before I saw her, and I really didn't want to deal with this crap. But it was part of my job, so I squared my shoulders and turned around. Look, miss, I said, Cupid is... I lost my words when I beheld the fairy behind me. The same one who had come by my desk the previous day, blue leotard and all. Please, Lord, let them have more than one pair of clothes. I wasn't sure who I was praying to, but it was a valid, true prayer, and I'm not here for me, the fairy said, and the prayer halted in my mind. I raised an eyebrow at her. 
She smiled, and that cute dimple I'd seen yesterday renewed with a deepening flare that I would have sworn was impossible before it just happened. Oh, Cupid's cute enough, I suppose, she said. And certainly he is rich and famous, but he's not my type. She gestured to her left. My friend, though. She left the rest unsaid, her words trailing into silence, as the leaves of a nearby orchid parted and a second fairy came into view. She looked embarrassed, like the orchid had revealed her without her really wanting it to. And it may have at that, orchids were notoriously mischievous. But whether it had or not was immaterial, I could not take my eyes off her. All fairies are slender and shapely, but she was long, lean, and powerful. But also feminine, with an expansive bust and curvy thighs, and wings that held her aloft with only a beat every three or four seconds, so powerful were the muscles driving them. Her leotard, hair, and eyes were green, and her lips were rose-red, with a faint hint of orange at the edges. I didn't want to stare, but I couldn't help it. My eyes grew wide with astonishment at her beauty for a moment, then the shiver going down my spine brought me back to my senses, and I shook my head. Looking back at the fairy from the day before, she had a knowing expression on her face. Her lips turned upward slightly. Most men have that reaction, she said. Then she pursed her lips. But not Cupid. Madeline has a heart only for him, but he's never looked at her twice. Never said more than a word to her. I glanced back at Madeline and had to look away for fear of being embarrassed by my own body's reaction. She's a grown woman. Can she not let her feelings be known? She has tried, said the blue fairy, drawing my eyes back to her many times, but Cupid will not hear her. I shrugged. This was nothing new, and she and Madeline should have seen it already and moved on. Cupid is an avowed bachelor. He's seen too much strife and pain from marriage and the like. He's vowed to take no part in it. The blue fairy gasped and recoiled slightly, pressing a hand to her mouth. Her eyes were widened in disbelief. Before she could ask, I nodded. It's true. I do not jest. Tell Madeline she'll be better off looking elsewhere. Blue looked over my shoulder toward her friend, and it seemed to me they were communicating, though I couldn't hear a word being said. I glanced behind to see Madeline returning Blue's stare, and it seemed she was not blinking. I just swallowed down a sudden case of nerves when Blue spoke again. She cannot. I raised an eyebrow at her. Madeline has pledged her heart to Cupid. If he will not return it, she will die. Oh, for the love of... Not this tripe again. Look, Blue. My name is Halimpa. I drew a breath. Okay, look here, Halimpa. I've heard that a dozen times in the last two years. Know how many really meant it? Halimpa shook her head. None. And I don't believe Madeline does either, so don't try to play me. She recoiled, and I saw her jaw working. Her eyes danced from side to side, as she obviously was trying to work out her next move on behalf of her friend. Clearly, she hadn't expected that obvious bit of manipulation to fail. Rolling my eyes at the pathetic plight of amateurs, I took a half-step toward her. Look, I think C's in a bad place too, and I want him to get better, find someone, and be happy. But I'm not going to sell him out or play games with him. If that's what you and she are looking for, piss off. I glanced between the two of them, then raised my finger to my brow in a half-salute. Good day. I'd gone three paces when a different voice, deeper and more powerful but still female, called out to me. Wait. I stopped and turned around and found Madeline hovering in the air, not ten feet in front of me. She was flushed, but her expression was hard and determined, though her eyes betrayed a trace of tenderness, a slight fear of rejection. And seeing that, I knew her intentions were true. If Cupid is out on a mission, I stay until he gets back, and then we have a debriefing. 
most times formal with management, sometimes just the two of us, and that's when I get to have a stogie. Depends on the rank of his targets for that particular mission. But on the days when he doesn't have a mission, our routine is far less structured. There are days when he kicks me out right after lunch, and there are others when he insists I stay with him until well after sundown, to the kind of hour where, if I was married, I would have to object and perhaps bring a complaint to management. I never did, though, and I never will, since we've been friends for so long. But on this particular evening, I felt the lack of his permission to withdraw like a spike through my belly. Not that I wanted to go home. No, quite the opposite. Halimpa and I had planned this evening's events out to the T, and I didn't want to mess them up. But they required me to be here, at work, after she went home for the night. And it looked like he was never going to. As I sat at my desk doing meaningless paperwork that had been blowing off for weeks, because what was Magic going to do to Cupid if he didn't turn in the stupid forms? Fire him? Please. I counted down the minutes in my mind, and I prayed with each minute's passing that Cupid would finally get done with his work for the day and get gone, so I could do my own work for the night. But the hours stretched on, and still he didn't leave, and I began to despair that he never would, and our window of opportunity would close. Then I felt a hand on my shoulder and a gentle squeeze. I recognized the squeeze as coming from Cupid, but still I gave a little jerk of surprise, so engrossed was I in the fake, useless document in front of me that still somehow managed to be compelling despite its utter triviality. Whoa, Cupid said, you okay, Al? I looked back at him and nodded, adding the best little grin I could manage. Yeah, you just startled me is all, which was completely true, and yet not entirely. He looked at me for a couple seconds, then returned my grin and nodded as well. Well, I'm heading out. His grin broadened a bit. Don't stay here too late, okay? We shared a chuckle, and he exited through the back door, the better to avoid groupies, and headed home. I waited for ten minutes to make sure he was gone. Then I shut down my office equipment and turned around. As expected, he left his doorway to his private locker room unlocked. Of course he did. He trusted me to lock up and not mess around with anything or do him wrong. For a second, I felt a flare of almost guilt. I shoved it down. I wasn't out to do him wrong tonight. I was hoping to do him some good, actually. So I slipped into his locker room, then padded across to the lockers on the right side of the room from the shower. The two closest to the shower held his personal and professional clothing. Then came two more in which he stored his on-the-job equipment, and one piece of equipment in particular that I needed. I knew the combination, so I set about dialing it in to the locker's lock. Cupid's condo is on the far side of a pretty large park from Valentine Hall. He didn't own a car because he hated to drive, so he always walked through the park to get home. Depending on the day, his pace, and how many people were in the park, the walk took anywhere from 25 to 45 minutes. When I finished with the locker room, I figured I was about 15 minutes behind him. Plenty of time to get to the opposite side of the park via a cab and get in position. All things being equal, that is. Unfortunately, all things are almost never equal. But this time, as a once-in-a-lifetime turn... The winds of fate actually were with me. So instead of getting there in 10 minutes, I got there in 5, so just within the minimum window for Cupid to pass through the park. In fact, I ended up waiting 10 minutes for Madeline to make her move. The sun had long since set, and the moon was a crescent sitting a third of the way up in the sky. Its faint light combined with the stars to offer only a dim illumination of the park's hedges and flower beds, but it was enough to see Cupid trudging down the dirt path he usually took on his way home. 
He could have flown, of course. His wings, though small, were strong enough to carry him. But as long as I'd known him, if he wasn't on the job, he preferred to walk. So he trudged along in his civilian attire. Gone was the white toga and the silly sandals. He wore a collared shirt and slacks, and he walked with his hands tucked into the pockets of his slacks and his eyes cast down onto the path in front of him. Madeline waited for him near the edge of a rosebush, and monkish though he was, Cupid was still male. No man could miss a female presence such as hers, and even if he determinedly did not see her, the gently subtle perfume of her presence would have been enough to halt a man in his tracks. Cupid, of course, stopped and raised his head to look at her. From my position a good thirty feet away, I could see the annoyance on his face. She was a lovely woman, but he had sworn off that particular passion long ago. And anyway, it was late. Still, when she spoke, he halted to listen to her. I couldn't make out her words, but I could see his features relax a tad, but only a tad. He made a shake of his head, then he spoke a quick reply that again didn't reach my ears. Her charms alone weren't cutting it, not with his armor up which was why I brought a bit of backup. I had seen the bow, of course, helped oil and clean it between missions, replaced the bowstring when the old one was worn or frayed. I'd helped him procure the materials for the arrows and kept them well-fletched and ready to go, but I had never drawn the bow myself. As I drew the string back, I was reminded of the Odyssey, how Odysseus's wife used his bow as a means to keep suitors away because no one was strong enough to draw it. Now, I'm no little guy, but I could not get the bow to its full draw. I'm told a good archer brings a string back to his ear. I could barely get it back to my nose, and even then, my arm shook. I looked down the length of the white arrow with its pinkish-red, heart-shaped head and watched as the missile bounced around against the silhouette of my friend. I didn't have to hit the heart, I knew that, but I also knew it would be more potent if I did, so I held on, trying to aim, and trying... I lost my grip and the string snapped too, sending the arrow flying. It flew long and high well to the right of both Cupid and Madeline, landing somewhere off in the dark, its magic spent uselessly. I cursed myself because Cupid was turning away from her, clearly done with the conversation and with her. She had a look of frustration and despondence on her face and I knew the window would close in just a few seconds. So I drew again, with more determination I drew, and this time I got the string back a more respectable distance. My arm still shook, but I knew the pattern of it now, so I watched carefully as Cupid finished his turn and began to walk away. Madeline lowered her head and began to leave as well. And I loosed. The arrow rose as it left the bow. I heard it making a soft whistle as it passed through the air. For a second, I thought I'd missed again. But then Cupid gave a little jerk. His eyes went wide and he froze in place. Then he spun around on his heel until he was once again facing the lovely fairy maiden. He said something. Her name, I have to believe. And she stopped her own turn. Her expression, when she looked back at him, was curious, then confused, then joyous as he closed the distance between them and took her by the hand. When Halimpa came to see me, I was closing up Cupid's shop. He'd taken off early for the day, the better to meet Madeline for an early dinner. He'd been doing that almost daily since their meeting in the park and my little assist. And I have to say I'd never seen him happier. He had a renewed spring in his step, and when he went out on a mission, well, the romance stats that management recorded and reported for the human populace hadn't looked that positive in as long as I could remember. More people everywhere were falling in love, and I got an inkling of what it must have felt like to be Cupid as he watched the fruits of his own labors. 
Olympa looked happy as well when she reached the boundary that separated our office space from the rest of Valentine Hall. She gave me a grin, and as usual, that cute dimple sprang to full life. How you doing, Lorian? I returned her smile. I can't remember when things have been so good around here. Glad to hear it. She looked down for a second. I just wanted to thank you. Madeline is so happy, and she trailed off, then looked back up and gave me a little shrug. I understood what she meant. It was great to see your friend thriving, and knowing you had a little something to do with it. You don't have to thank me. She opened her mouth to protest, I was sure, so I beat her to the punch. But you're welcome all the same. She stopped, cocked her head at me, then shut her mouth again, grinning all the broader. Then she gave a little fairy curtsy and turned away. Before I realized what I was doing, I said on impulse, You want to get dinner tonight? She stopped, mid-turn, then looked back at me. I could feel her gaze as her eyes swept down my body and back up, and was tempted to cringe as I felt my lack of fully formed wings. But then her grin broadened into a full-on smile, and she nodded. I'd love to. And just when I thought the day couldn't get any better, it did. So all's well that ends well for Cupid and his buddy Lorian. Yay! Although in, in reading back over this, <laughs> I kind of realized that Lorian went back on his word a little bit in that uh, he told the girls, piss off, he's not going to, you know, do anything to undermine what Cupid wants, and then he turns around and undermines what Cupid says he wanted. But, he, of course, Cupid didn't really want to be a bachelor forever. Because, you know, being a bachelor is cool and all, but there's other good things that come from not being a bachelor. And I'm sure. And it's obviously it all worked out, right? Because uh, Cupid's happy. Lorian's happy. The girls are happy. Yay. So, hope you liked that one. If you did, you know what to do. Obviously, come back next week for the next podcast uh, for Story Saturday, which will be story number 41. Let me get what that is real quick here. Remind myself. Ah, Heaven's Gates. This is science fiction. It's set in my Korathi Empire uh, setting, uh, which I've written a bunch of science fiction stories, and a lot of them are, well, obviously I've written a bunch of science fiction stories, but in the last several years, a lot of science fiction stories out in space type science fiction stories as opposed to the different types um, have tended to fall in the same universe whether it be directly with the Korathi Empire or with uh, surrounding uh, systems near them. I haven't really talked. Uh, they have interaction with the Sago Dominance, which is the you know, big uh, geopolitical uh, rival to the Korathi Empire, although there are others. And then also the Ikaran Confederation Navy actually is in the same universe as well. It's on the opposite side of the Sago dominance, dominance from the Karathi Empire. And they don't have, to this point in my writing, they haven't actually met. The Icarus and Korra have not actually met. And so they're in the same universe, but not aware of each other. So that's kind of, and of course that may or may not change as I go through the course of writing more stories and novels in this, in this grand setting. Um, probably will because it's all going to be about the interplay of the various you know, galactic powers and 
cold wars and trades and under dealings and fight shooting wars and all kinds of good stuff which <clears throat> reminds me that i really need to finish the icarin confederation novel that i'm writing uh and i'm going to but the fun thing is that one of the things I did this week this week's uh workshop was a time travel romance workshop so i wrote this one uh i wrote you know three time travel romance type stories and one of them the last one was particularly fun and open-ended enough that it needs to be expanded so i maybe i'll expand that into a, a larger story before i get back to the icarin uh navy novel i keep doing this keep getting new projects it's common writing curse anyway that's new to hear or there next week we'll be back to the karathi empire in uh, story saturday as i mentioned at the beginning of this video though the other thing that's happening next week is we're recommencing or we're, we are commencing the next kickstarter for the first 10 uh, stories of this year's challenge i'll show you the uh, kickstarter ad art at the beginning and showing it to you again and you might be thinking to yourself self i really like kingswood's stories and i really want to make sure that i get more of them often and so i really want to support this campaign because you know it's good that he gets paid because he's writing these great stories and i would say to that self you are correct sir or madam so here's how you do it you go to michaelkingswood.com slash 52 in 23 v1 v1 standing for volume one of course you can go straight to kickstarter and search for me there but uh, that'll put that'll find it too but i've made this handy dandy little short link so it's nice and easy for you and uh that should that should do it uh, on tuesday at noon pacific we will be starting the campaign until then the link is live and you can go and sign up to uh, get notified when it goes live and so i will be of course putting out videos i'll be sending out emails to all my mailing lists people i know all the pe people who have backed me on previous kickstarters and over on indiegogo will let them know uh tell the world but in case you miss any of those things kickstarter will tell you directly that it's going if you hit that little notification notify me thing and that makes it easy yeah and so you know come back on tuesday on tuesday's key because on tuesday 14 march 2023 uh because the sooner you meet the goal i set the goal fairly though the sooner we meet the goal the better obviously because it takes the stress off of meeting the goal but also from a algorithmic uh getting boost from kickstarter perspective they really like it when campaigns meet the goal and within the first day and the, the faster the campaign meets the goal the more uh spotlight kickstarter will put on it so if we can get the goal met within the first day that'd be great Hell, the first hour would be even better, but <laughs> let's not go nuts. Anyway, so, stand by. I'm also going to recommence the last campaign I did, if you recall. I uh, streamed daily uh, to give updates on campaign status. I intend to recommence that. So, in addition to the Warship Wednesday, which I apologize I haven't done the last couple of weeks because of chicanery. Um, but in addition to that, we'll be doing a daily stream just of uh quick 
Kickstarter campaign update. Uh, a for fun, B to, I mean, draw a little bit of attention, maybe. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> My audience isn't that big, but every little bit helps. So uh, stand by for that. We'll be doing that uh, starting next week. So any assistance would be awesome. And in fact, it's required. So go sign up to uh, receive notifications of the campaign. When the campaign starts, get your butt in there and support it. And of course, go to michaelkingswood.com slash store. Pick up all my books. You can, of course, go to all the various retailers, other people who buy it. You know, I've handy dandy short link, michaelkingswood.com slash books to read, the number two, to read, will take you to my author page over on books to read, which has links to various, uh, there's a listing of various, my books and uh, one link. And once you go there and click on a book, you can select which store it's available in that you want to get to. So instead of giving you 600 million links, there's the one and it's easy. And then you can pick which store you want to go to, but it should be my store. You should just come to michaelkingswood.com slash store. Why? Because I get more money that way. Cause you don't give the 30% or 20% or 40% or whatever percent to the middleman. All you got to pay is credit card, uh, credit card processing fees or PayPal transaction fees or Stripe transaction fees or the crypto, um, mining fee when you pay for it with Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, so that's better. More money for me. Also, it's a direct relationship between us. And all the the the, uh, the ebooks get sent directly to your device through book funnel, so it's nice and easy. Audiobooks can be downloaded in M4P format straight from me to you, and then you do with them what you want. Um, and paperbacks, I, I had the paperback thing squared away, but the the system I was using to get them sold and shipped without me having to touch anything. Uh, shut down. So I'm going to be reintegrating the paperbacks into my store again. Um, I'm just working, figuring a way to do it with the least amount of pain to myself because drop shipping is easy, but it also takes time and every little bit of time is time spent doing something else. It'd be nice to have an automated, automated system like I used to. Of course, the automated system, like I used to, required two separate stores. <laughs> ebook, you know, if you've been on the site, you've seen it. I have ebook and an audiobook and merchandise store versus the print book store because it wouldn't integrate into WooCommerce. It'd be nice to have an automated integration into WooCommerce. And I know of one service that'll do that, but it's only in Britain. So that doesn't really help me. I, I mean, there are, I know of, I, I can, do warehouse fulfillment stuff that um but that costs a monthly warehousing fee all that sort of thing and let's face it don't sell enough <laughs> paperback books directly uh or books at all uh at this point to make i don't think it's worth me worth it to, to pay that fee right now so i guess it's stuck with drop shipping for a little, next little while which is yeah is what it is anyway the cool thing about once I reintegrate the paperbacks, cool thing about pay, buying the paperbacks is as you like the audiobook, if you buy the paperback, you get the ebook for free. So that'll be good. Um, look, sometime in the next few weeks when I have a free, you know, four hours to reintegrate paper books into the store, I'll get that set up. <laughs> anyway, neither here nor there. Go, go, 
buy books, go to the Kickstarter, get ready to support it. Come back next week for all the streaming and the fun. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on all my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.